0: Thanks for joining this uh, webinar, my name is Anthony Longland, and today it's my pleasure to introduce uh, this instalment of our Safety Leadership Series. Today, we're joined by Dr. Ali Burston from Metasphere Organisational Psychologists, and we've invited her to present to you today on her mental health literacy project. I'll shortly hand over to my partner Anna Cregan. She'll give a brief overview and then she'll uh, hand over to Dr. Ali. We'll hear Dr. Ali's presentation. And then Anna will conduct a a short discussion with Dr. Alley after that. Our software has the um, capability for you to lodge questions. Please do so. Um, Anna will assess whether she's able to present them to to Dr. Alley during the course of the the discussion. But first, let me say something about mental health. Uh, Really across all of our our Australian offices, we've seen a a sharp increase in the attention that clients are paying to, to this issue. Uh, Reports as recently as yesterday tell us of the extreme cost uh, in workplaces and to the economy generally of mental health issues and then on financial costs are obviously um, most concerning. Now Dr Ali is a personal friend and in discussions with her over the last two or three years I've followed the development of her uh, mental health literacy project. It just seems to me a, a very original approach to the problem and I can see it's very impactful in the work she's done and and, and logically uh, in terms of of the methodology. I'm really grateful that she's agreed to come along today and I hope you get something from the presentation. Now there are many indicators in the WHS space uh, that I've seen used in workplaces and a lot of them are lagging indicators. I think that the distinction here is that you're getting data on on a really critical matter, um, being the capability of your frontline management in real time. And that data is presented and gathered in a way that allows uh, bespoke training to be delivered immediately, uh, after which there's a, a secondary measure of, of that capability. Um, it just strikes me as a very practical approach. Um, and interestingly, we'll see some data in the presentation that Dr. Ali agreed to share um, based on her implementation of this project across a lot of different workplaces. So I really hope that you enjoy the presentation. I'm not aware of anything else quite like this in the marketplace. Hopefully you'll take something away which will benefit your workplace. And just a reminder that we're recording the webinar and before the day's out, the recording and the slides will be posted on our website. So you'll be able to um, circulate links to those in your organisation who might be interested. Um, With that, I'll hand over to Anna Cregan.
1: Thank you, Anthony. And uh, as Anthony has said, mental health is obviously a very serious and a live issue in the Australian workplace. And that could be said perhaps this year um, as much as any other, or some might say more so than any other years. Yesterday's Productivity Commission report Anthony alluded to, many of you have probably heard about. It found that the annual cost of mental health issues to the Australian economy is $220 billion. And the workplace, the cost to Australian workplaces will certainly make up a material proportion of that. Uh, That issue is something which is not lost on lawmakers or on safety regulators. You'd all be aware it's been clear for some time now that employers or persons conducting a business or undertaking in Australia have duties to ensure mental health in the workplace and the outcomes of safety prosecutions, also civil claims and workers' compensation proceedings have made that point abundantly clear. Following that, in recent years, we've seen increased guidance and in some cases, prescription. A couple of years ago, we saw the introduction of the WA code of practice in relation to managing health in -in, fly-in, fly-out workplaces. We now have a draft code of practice in New South Wales, which would deal with managing mental health risks in workplaces more broadly. There's clear prescription in some model laws like the Work Health and Safety Act which has just passed in Western Australia which very clearly requires employers to take steps to manage psychological hazards and there are comments in other law reform reports like the Boland review report, also Kate Jenkins review, the Australian Human Rights Commission's report of its review of sexual harassment risks in the Australian workplace indicating very clearly that where risks to mental health uh, exist in the workplace, for whatever reason, they must be managed. And in short, what all of that guidance requires is a risk management approach to managing psychological uh, health risks in the workplace. It's clear that general wellbeing steps are no longer, if they ever were, adequate what employers need to do is to apply the hierarchy of controls in identifying hazards, assessing the risks that come from those hazards, implementing appropriate control measures, and on an ongoing basis, monitoring the effectiveness of those controls. But the question that we are seeing repeatedly from our clients is what are others actually doing in this space? How are employers applying the hierarchy of controls and what are they practically doing to manage mental health in the workplace? So it's with great interest that we hand over to Dr. Ali, who will be able to speak to this.
2: Good morning and good afternoon. Thank you very much, Anna and Anthony, uh, for that lovely introduction and some really um, pertinent points that we're raising here when it comes to mental health. Um, As Anthony and Ali and Anna mentioned, my name is Dr. Ali Burston. I'm an organisational psychologist uh, working with a company called Metasphere here in Western Australia. Um, Can I have the first slide, please, Ian? So what we're looking at here is just a quick introduction on what we do. Uh, Metasphere organisational psychologists uh, create people-focused business growth. So our local, national and global clients engage us to develop leadership capabilities, manage change effectively and transform their organisations sustainably. Um, Some of the solutions and some of the uh, different streams of work that we work in is uh, obviously executive team alignment and development. Mental health in the workplace, which is what we're going to be focusing on uh, today, uh, industry and corporate mentoring, leadership coaching um, and strategy execution. You'll see through those various work streams that really when it comes to mental health, we incorporate all of these different work streams into specifically mental health literacy, which is I'm going to be, talk, which I'm going to be talking to you about today. Um, look, as a bit of background, organisational psychologists are trained as scientists, practitioners. Uh, We evaluate, conduct research and apply knowledge of evidence to inform our clients. Uh, Evidence-based practice is guided by the best quality and most current research findings uh, to achieve the best multi-level outcomes for for individuals, teams and organisations. As an organisational psychologist, uh, we work predominantly in mining and construction. Um, I've started my career in mining um, out of a very remote mine site in the Pilbara Um, and that is is where we work solely. So we have a very unique perspective on the code of practice uh, and also how we can translate that code of practice to help industry implement and integrate some of these recommendations that they have put forward for us all. Uh, I'll have the next slide please, Ian. So just to uh, get us in the right frame of mind, mental health, right? I'm sure many of us have seen these these arrows uh, front and back. But look, just to give us a bit of an overview, mental health is a state of well-being in which the individual recognises and realises their potential uh, and they can cope with normal stresses of life, they can work productively and fruitfully and are able to make a contribution to their community. So that's our standard definition from the World Health Organisation. When we look at this particular continuum, um, I find this really interesting. And as I said, we're just setting the scene here, so bear with me for a minute. But when we have the, the red end, if you like, the negative mental ill health, what we see here is is people falling in this category who are suffering from problems, so to speak. Uh, they're unable to cope with stress and they exhibit significant changes in their thoughts, behaviour and their actions. When we move to the other end, so this is the green end of the wellbeing, the plus, if you like, um, this is the healthy point, okay? So this is where uh, we have people that show some distress and inability to cope. No, these people who have, they're generally satisfied and and healthy in their lives, um, but they're emotionally well-balanced, they're stable, orientated and and flourishing. Whereas the people in the middle, which is really what we call in, in org psych, these are our this is our, our problem part, right? So this is where people who lie at this point, um, as I said earlier, they show some distress and inability to cope, but they're capable of performing daily functions. all right? Now, the reason why we call this neutral point or this middle point a bit of a tricky point is that really the issue is here, is if we've got people sitting in this neutral point, um, this is the tipping point, right? So what we mean by that is all it takes is, is something like COVID-19 Um, to fall into the red and and people can't bounce back, all right? So we find this is where we have this issue here in in this neutral part. But predominantly, when we're in the green, uh, people behave more safely, all right? Uh, People are thriving. They're more creative, they're more proactive and they're open to new experiences. Um, I'll have the next slide, please, Ian. Thank you. So here's our state of play, all right? So this is a reason to focus on mental health. And look, notwithstanding... Anthony and and Anna's comments earlier um, in regards to the federal report released with the Productive Commission yesterday, but really for us to focus on mental health, um, we're looking at parliamentary inquiries back in 2015, education and health standing committees, we've got the Center for Transformative Work Design, which is funded through Curtin University. Um, We've also got the WA Mental Health Commission and also the Demeer's Code of Practice. Um, for mentally healthy workers in FIFO. So what we did here is we looked at, uh, in our literature review, we looked at all of these different pieces of work, um, all of these areas of consultation, and we built um, a program called Mental Health Literacy. Um, And I'm really looking forward to taking you through that today. Um, As Adam mentioned earlier, when it comes to the Productivity Commission report released uh, by the federal government yesterday, this indicates that almost half of Australian adults will meet the criteria for mental illness at some point in their lives, all right? So this report was commissioned prior to COVID actually. So this is prior to the system already being under significant stress as it is today um, in October. So we have obviously an ongoing concern there, but I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about what we can do to help with that. Um, The next slide please Ian, (coughs) pardon me. So, Really, what we did here is is we looked at, when it comes to mental health literacy, this is what we did. This is our story. So, as I said, we looked at uh, the Code of Practice. We looked at the Productivity Commission reports. We looked at the consultation. There are many, many uh, different reports and collaborators that we spoke with, uh, certainly a lot of smes also um, but what we did here is specifically uh, the mental health literacy project addresses uh, section 2.1 in the code of practice under risk management and also section 3.0 leadership and workplace culture um, within the wa mental health commission report we had we address recommendation number two which is assessing psychosocial risks recommendation number three providing mental health training for direct line managers recommendation number four which was addressing the stigma associated with mental health. And then recommendation number seven within the WA Mental Health Commission report was specifically increase mental health literacy through information and training for all workers. So this is what we did. We built, um, as I said, what we have called here a psychometric within the mental health literacy project to help us understand a little bit more about what we're dealing with here when it comes to mental health. For me, as an organisational psychologist, mental health is not a one-size-fits-all approach and quite frankly it never should be okay the way that individuals deal with psychosocial risks and hazards for example depression anxiety burnout everyone is different um, and we're all different in our coping style based on our culture our experiences our childhood our our workplaces our organizational cultures the way that we deal with specifically in this instance, mental health, everyone is different and there should never be a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to mental health. So we felt here as organisational psychologists, we could contribute to this this piece of work. We could really say, okay, how are we going to create here a very tailored, tailored, unique and bespoke approach to workplace mental health for our clients, okay? Um, So really, as I said there, also too, What we wanted to do was we had their need to understand industry trends and meet specific WA Mental Health Commission recommendations in addressing psychosocial risks and hazards. This hasn't been done yet, all right, as far as we know. Um, And also too, there was no pre-existing organisational framework that included testing and and designing tailored interventions to improve mental health literacy, which as I said, is uh, recommendation number seven there on your slide. So what we did is uh, we built the psychometric, a valid and reliable test with normative data uh, that's accompanied by tailored and strategic interventions together that addresses some of these missing pieces, right? Uh, to improve the well-being of employees operating in the mining and construction sectors. Um, next slide, please, Ian. All right. so um, as as Anthony may have alluded to earlier on, uh, Mental Health Literacy Project is the first of its kind in Australia. There is nothing else that exists like this. Um, This project measures knowledge of key psychosocial terms to assist in managing psychosocial hazards and risk factors in the workplace, including the implementation of appropriate controls and strategies for individual, team and organisational improvement. So this project, as we've mentioned earlier, fits in with the broader mental health strategies and reflects new guidelines in the Demeer's Code of Practice and broader FIFO mental health recommendations, specifically the WA Mental Health Commission report. This project methodology allows for the development and progress of individuals across the continuum of mental health, which is what we understand there at the very bottom, probably a similar uh, perhaps infographic that many of you have seen before, the mitigating illness, preventing harm and enabling and helping people to thrive in their workplaces, which is what we were talking about before with our our positive and our negative, okay? So I'll have the next slide if that's all right, um, please, Ian. Thank you very much. So a little bit about the Mental Health Literacy Project. What What is this all about? What have we built here? Okay, so first things first, the Mental Health Literacy Project is split into five stages, okay? So stages one and five are the test components, all right? As organisational psychologists and scientists practitioners, we really have an ability here to utilise the diagnostic piece that we utilise for all of our clients. So any time we approach a job or, um, or a particular um, engagement that a client has asked us to help them with, we really look at testing or engaging that particular workplace in the first instance for us to then gather data and, <coughs> pardon me, diagnose some of this data through then running appropriate interventions and monitoring these interventions. So for us, we were really drawing on our areas of expertise um, and our specialisation of organisational psychology. So as I said, we're split into five stages. So firstly, stage one is what we call a snapshot, okay? Now the snapshot is the psychometric. It measures the top psychosocial hazards and risks, which I'm gonna go through with you in a minute. Um, it looks at the threats to well-being. Okay, which is depression, anxiety, and burnout. Um, And it also looks at underlying psychological factors. Uh, Here we talk about empathy, commitment, and motivation. So, what what happens is we run the snapshot, we do that online. That's a 15, 20 minute test for most people. Um, And really, what it is, it's a knowledge test. Okay, because as we were saying before, when we talk about mental health not being a one size fits all approach, really what we're doing here is we're going back to that individual and saying, okay, so what do you know about mental health? Share that with us. Tell us what it is that you know about depression or anxiety or empathy. And then once I can gather this information, I can then build tailored interventions to help um, not only individuals, but teams and organisations collectively. All right. As opposed to this one size fits all approach, which is which is probably in many ways what, what industry are doing at the moment. Okay. So I'll go through that part in a minute. But when we talk about phase one it's the snapshot it's the psychometric it's the knowledge test okay stage two what we have built is what's called the focus group stage okay so as we go through um, the quantitative data we collect in the snapshots we then move into qualitative data so we head out to site uh, and we have the pleasure of meeting with supervisors superintendents and managers out on site and in corporate office too um, to really get an understanding of what it is they know about mental health and some of these key psychosocial risks and hazards that exist from and haven't been extracted uh, from the code of practice. So what we've seen is, through all of the, the projects we've done over the last little while, is that initially the focus groups were a data collection piece, right? We were using that to collate qualitative data. But we've actually found over time that the focus groups are proving to be more of an intervention than anything else because we're finding our participants in these focus groups really enjoying the opportunity to speak about what they know on mental health and also to speak about some of their experiences so stage two is our focus groups okay this is as i said technically our data collection piece from here we move into stage three of five now, our workshops here, uh, what we do is we go through the quantitative and qualitative data that we gathered, um, as I said, in a very evidence-based way. So we talk here, apples and apples, so to speak. Um, but what we have here is, is a series of workshops that we offer uh, to these teams, and we produce very tailored content to address their key development areas, okay? So as you would appreciate Uh, any organisation is different, okay, in in organisational structure, culture and leadership. And when it comes to mental health, every organisation is different too. So what we're finding is that every single uh, site that we visit, every corporate office that we go to, every workplace that we go to, they all exhibit different areas of improvement. Hence, we create tailored workshops for those those different cohorts, right? So what I might see in a gold miner, I see different perhaps in an iron ore. I, everyone's different, right? So we have the, the, the ability here to create very tailored workshops that address what these people need, okay? So we've gone through, for example, um, you might we might have a site that knows a lot about depression, anxiety, but when it comes to burnout and job demands, they don't know so much about that. So we produce workshops then that address those two key points. But also importantly, in the workshop piece, We create the knowledge transfer, all right? So as organisational psychologists, our focus here during the workshops is to equip our supervisors, superintendents and our managers with the skills, knowledge and ability to have better workplace mental health conversations, all right? What we find certainly in the early days is that many of the people coming through the workshops simply just didn't, didn't really know how to have these conversations, or perhaps were a little bit frightened to have conversations about mental health. Now, the stigma is another side to that. And I'll talk about that later. Um, but really, what we what we aim to do in those workshops also is to do a series of role plays. So what we would do is create a scenario where perhaps as a superintendent, you have your fitter or your TA approach you and say, Look, I'm really struggling at home. I'm struggling on this shift, I, I look, I, I just don't really know what to do, I'm, I'm feeling really withdrawn. And so what we would do there is in a scenario like that, we would, we would explain to our superintendent how to handle themselves in these sorts of conversations. Now, our objective here isn't to create the next psychologist, therapist or counsellor, absolutely not, by no means. Supervisors, superintendents and managers have enough on their plate to deal with, right? What we're getting at here is we're saying, we're just we want to give you the confidence and the knowledge to have these conversations a little bit better. So that what you can do here is recognize the symptoms, right? It, not only in yourself, but importantly as a mental health leader in others, right? So what we're doing here is we're saying, okay, so. Here are some symptoms and some signs of depression or anxiety, all right? How do you see that in yourself? So, what are some symptoms? And what I might exhibit is different to the person sitting next to me, okay? Because as I said, we're all different, not one size fits all, okay? So, and what we do there is we say, okay, so if you notice these symptoms in yourself, here are some ideas on how to notice this in others, okay? And then the practical component is, is we say, okay, here's how you do a role play. So this is Let's put you in a bit of a tricky situation and see how we can offer some support to help you have these conversations. Now, we're going to go back to our old chestnut around stigma. OK, this is going to directly affect organisational stigma. OK, so and, and certainly notwithstanding enabling and equipping our, our supervisors, superintendents and managers to have these conversations and increase their knowledge. What we see is the more that someone knows something about a particular mental health or or psychosocial hazard or risk, the more comfortable they are talking about it. The more comfortable they are talking about it to their peers um, and certainly to their team members. So what our aim here was, was to create within stage three, um, a series of workshops. Um, As I said, we look at theory, um, so we increase that that knowledge component, but also importantly, we focus on that knowledge transfer piece. All right. So that's the role play. That's the practical application. Out of the back of that, we go into stage four or five. Now, that's the coaching element. All our coaching here is done by registered and organizational psychologists. So what we do is we print out your snapshot results or your psychometric results um, and we go through them with you. Um, So we might say, okay, look, hi, Dr. Ali, Um, you know a lot about these particular terms, but this particular term when it comes to burnout, you might not know a lot about that. Um, how would you Tell me a little bit more about that, all right? And here are some tips and strategies on how to increase your knowledge and your effectability around job demands in this particular, or, or, or burnout or whatever it is, right, wherever those key development areas are. Importantly, out of the back end of every coaching session, we have a, a development plan, all right? So everyone's got to build a development plan. We want to know how you are going to becoming a better mental health leader for our organisation and our site and our cohorts and our other teammates, all right? So with that in mind, we also then touch base in three months. So we touch base and say, look, you know, hi, Ali, we did this development report three months ago. How are you going with implementing that? What's sticking and what are you finding a bit tricky, all right? Then lastly, we look at stage five, okay, which is our follow-up snapshot. So we do a pre- and post-test. So when we look at the risk management approach, it fits very nicely to that. So we identify those risks and triggers through phase one. We look at assessing risks and triggers through phases one and two, sorry, one and two, one and two for both identify and assess. And then when we reduce those hazards, we look at phases three and four. So that's our tailored workshops and our coaching sessions. And then the monitoring and reviewing is done in that follow-up snapshot. Um, And also probably, too, a little bit of stage four, because the monitor review piece we do in the development, um, the development plan as well. When we go back three months later and see what's working for everyone um, and how are they creating some consistent behaviours um, moving forward. So that was how we built mental health literacy on, off a risk management approach, which is critical, which is critical to uh, part of the recommendations within the Demeer's Code of Practice and WA Mental Health uh, Commission report. Um, we'll go to the next slide, if that's OK, please, Anne. So when we look at some of these psychosocial risks and hazards, um, we look at resilience, okay? We look at job demands and resources. We look at stigma. We test on burnout. We test on depression. We test on anxiety, bullying and leadership. All of these terms we test on, okay? So for us, these, these terms have been derived from the Code of Practice and obviously WA Mental Health Commission report, which we feel is an extremely thorough and comprehensive series of documents For us to base this on Uh, certainly notwithstanding just because it's done in in the west here it can't be used in in different states absolutely not i I think uh, the consultation process they have been through here in western australia is exhaustive and this is why we have really focused on the best the best models the best recommendations and and the best documents that have uh, obviously illustrated the collaboration process nicely Um, so they're all the hazards and risks that we look at testing So I guess the question is now, what have we found um, by going through all of this, uh, all of this work we've done over the last little while? I'll have the next slide if that's all right, please, Ian. All right, so let's have a look. Um, What have we got here? So on on the graph here, you'll see on your screen, uh, we've got pre and post. Okay, so what we've done here is you've seen a pre-test. This is all our snapshot scores, right? Um, Pre-test, we've had about 83.4, say 83%, all right, where they've started. After completing mental health literacy, right, their score has increased to just under 90%. Okay, we're sitting at 89.5%. All right. You will see across the spectrum of all of these psychosocial hazards and risks that we talked about in the previous slide, we have seen increases in them all. Okay. Um, But you will see here that the highest increase we have had is in resilience. All right. So the way that we have improved our knowledge, awareness and understanding of key psychosocial hazards and risks, the best and the greatest improvements we have seen is is through resilience. All right. So what we've done here, um, we haven't seen uh, much improvement on bullying, for example. OK, so if you look, look across to bullying, we haven't seen too much. Of, of an increase there, um, and also perhaps the reason for bullying there is, um, is, is maybe, you know, we've had a lot of talk about bullying on site uh, in over the last sort of five to ten years, okay? So so for us there, we sort of look at some of this data, we've seen increases in leadership, we've seen increases um, in job demands. The stigma uh, is, is an interesting confound there. Um, I think when it comes to stigma, we need a far more broader cohort to really address um, some of the more stigma concerns that we have on mental health. And I think, too, it is a long term approach that we need to take to uh, to address the stigma of mental health. You'll see depression, anxiety and burnout. Um, These are our threats to well-being. Okay, so, for example, burnout can lead to depression or um, anxiety can lead to depression. Okay, so these are the trends that we're seeing with all of the companies we've been working with over the last little while, specifically in mining and construction. I'll have the next slide, please, Ian. Uh, One of the other things that we talk about within our uh, our psychometric too is addressing what we call underlying psychological factors. So within the snapshot, we ask people to indicate um, certainly their their identification, assessment, intervention, and monitoring of psychosocial hazards and risks. So what that means is we ask people, firstly, from an empathy perspective, how much do I care, Okay, Because there's one thing to know a lot about these psychosocial hazards and risks, but it's another thing to say, well, do I really care about that, all right? So we measure that. We measure motivation. So we say, how likely am I really to do something about this? Uh, And then lastly, we look at measuring commitment, okay? So will I stick to doing something once I've started? So these underlying uh, psychological factors can provide a progressive indication of empathy, motivation and commitment fluctuations, which may relate to the intrinsic application of the risk management framework. So if you look at the next slide, please, Ian, um, if that's all right, Um, what you have here is we have indicated um, these underlying psychological factors within our data. Okay, within our data set. So these are the underlying psychological uh, factor scores. So you've got pre and post, a huge difference here. Okay, so we're looking probably almost uh, at least 15%. But pre-test, we've got um, firstly there in the blue column and then in the yellows. Okay, so when we look at empathy, motivation and commitment, we have seen considerable increases in all of our underlying psychological factors pre and post-test, OK, so what that means, what that means is the people that we're working with want to do more. OK, what it means here is, is certainly what we can create an inference from, as all psychs here, is that people's motivation and commitment improves after they do the Mental Health Literacy Project, um, which is fantastic news, certainly for those data cohorts that we're, we're working with. Right. So um, this is really pleasing for us, because if people want more, hey, this is an opportunity to jump on that momentum. We can help you with that, okay? Um, I'll jump to the next slide, uh, just as I start to wrap up here. Um, The other thing that we're talking about, too, is some of these industry trends, okay? So, just very carefully when looking at this particular graph, um, what I want to do is just firstly reiterate that these are our snapshot scores in our pre-test, okay? So, when we look at males and females, we say the average um, snapshot score pre-test for a male was 82.8 82, and the female was 85.5, right? Uh, when we go across and we look at from an organisational level, uh, frontline staff, supervisors and managers, um, all probably sitting somewhere between 82 and 84% on a pre-snapshot score, okay? Uh, when we look at our industry, so when we look at mining and construction, Both, I mean, give or take a percentage and a half or so, um, sitting probably roughly about the same on their snapshot uh, pretest score. And then lastly, when it comes to age, um, we look at 25 to 34, 35 to 44 and 44 to 54, sorry, um, somewhere between 81 to about 84 percent. They're their pre-snapshot scores. Um, so it's so a very interesting data coming out of that in terms of industry trends that we're seeing um, in pre-snapshot scores. Um, so I'll, uh, what I'll do is I'll go to the next slide, if that's okay, please, Ian, thank you. All right, so in analyzing some of our industry trends, um, we've observed several things here, okay? So first things first, we look at resilience. Um, employees with higher resilience tend to be more adapted to failures, setbacks, and challenges. Um, They cope, adjust, and recover quickly from stress and adversity. Um, Resilience is key here, right? So knowledge of resilience, job demands, and leadership are the three areas for greatest improvement, right? So what we've got to do here is we've got to focus on improving our knowledge, awareness, and understanding of resilience, job demands, and leadership, okay? This is where consistently we've scored the lowest across the board, right? When it comes to um, bullying, anxiety, and depression, these are our comparative strengths. So this is really where we've scored the highest. Okay, And that might indicate that already on site and in corporate office, we already get enough information, perhaps about bullying, depression and, and anxiety, so that people know enough about these terms. right? Um, when it comes to uh, motivation and commitment, um, we can look, certainly look at these through targeted interventions. So we can really look at saying, okay, so what are the signs? What are the outcomes? Um, if, if, they, if they can't look at some of these um, outcomes, uh, then it's difficult for them to create that motivation and that commitment. But also, too, <clears throat> when it comes to um, sort of motivation and commitment, we can also say there are, um, participants are able to see how they could create change, all right, and then they felt more motivated and committed to do it more frequently, all right. We know with improvements across resilience that um, we will see um, improvements in leadership and organisational culture. Uh, we know that we know that our poor mental health contributes to lower productivity, lower performance, higher absenteeism, and lower job satisfaction. This has a direct correlation to return on investment, right? So again, this is even more impetus for us to be focusing on uh, on mental health in the workplace at the moment, uh, and that's that's yeah across the board, right? And then when it comes to the individual coaching with a registered psychologist, this was our highest level of project uh, satisfaction. So people really enjoyed catching up one-on-one with a with registered psychologist to say, okay, what are my results? What do I know about these particular terms and what can I do um, to improve them? How can I become a better leader in mental health to look after myself, my family and my peers um, and also, to my, t- my teammates, which are included in that as well. All right? Um, So I'll go to the next slide, if that's okay, Ian, as I start to wrap up. Um, So what we've got there is um, we've got conflict, burnout, apathy. Okay, so what we mean there is uh, we have limited replacement initiatives in response to COVID-19 stresses and limitation of proactive systems. So what we saw here is during COVID, um, which is the next point there, the dry, wet mess closures, the social group cessation, the less face-to-face contact, during COVID, we took away that support, right? So we took away that social support without supplementing it with anything else. And so this, during COVID, has led to poor mental health, right, um, and, and a feeling perhaps of isolation for many, all right? We found that through um, certainly looking at the, um, the, the negative wellbeing outcomes, um, such as conflict, burnout, and uh, the apathy, disengagement, and the survival mentality is really leading mining employees, right? So this is, uh, I mean, the equal sign here is they're not coping and they're not thriving, all right? So this is what we're finding in all of the data that we're going through at the moment, is that people are quite reactive to their response when it comes to dealing with stresses um, and psychosocial hazards and risks. Um, I'll go to the next slide if that's okay, Ian. So some of the sample recommendations that we're making with our clients um, across the board. um, I've got a few here. Um, Whenever we finish any mental health literacy project, we've collected all our data. We've gone through all the stages. We deliver a series of of recommendations for that organisation. Um, Some of them are written here. uh, Investigative training to conduct in-house psychosocial risk management assessments is one um, where we focus on hierarchy of control. Uh, Providing training to all employees on key improvement areas such as burnout and anxiety, for example. Addressing the symptoms early on um, and addressing those. uh, Identifying them, sorry, and addressing. Addressing how to reduce uncertainty that may cause anxiety. And query whether more structured support and instruction is required for working remotely. All right. And then the third sample recommendation we've got there is identifying sources of stress in job demands. All right. And making reasonable adjustments where possible if not possible, providing L&D in coping skills and strategies, all right? So if it's not possible for us to change a roster, for example, or do a complete job design piece, we really need to then provide the learning and development um, to enable people to build the coping skills and strategies to move forward, right? Um, And then the last slide, please, uh, Ian, if that's okay? Um, So really, lastly, uh, in summary, um, to Code of Practice provides guidance for organisations in the resources and construction sectors that utilise FIFO work arrangements and not. I mean, the project isn't just for, uh, for us with mental health literacy, isn't just for FIFO workers, it's for those people who don't work in FIFO too. But when it comes to the Code of Practice, that specifically addresses FIFO work arrangements to support the development and maintenance of mentally healthy workplaces. Um, The Mental Mental Health Literacy Project measures knowledge of key psychosocial terms to assist in managing psychosocial hazards and risks in the workplace, uh, including the implementation of appropriate controls and strategies for individual team and organisational improvement. So what we've done, as I said to you earlier on in my presentation, we've really looked at these key pieces um, of research, uh, these key consultations uh, that have had within industry, and we've dissected that. Um, And for us to dissect that, we've really had to take a very overall thorough lens on what is some of these recommendations coming out of the Code of Practice and WA Mental Health Commission report. And as a result, this is what we've built on uh, for mental health literacy. Our greatest data, sorry, our industry data suggests that knowledge of resilience, job demands and leadership are three key areas uh, for greatest improvement. Um, And if anyone has any questions uh, regarding any of the data or or any, anything about uh, my presentation today, uh, my email address is there. But um, Anna, I'm going to revert back to you now, if that's okay, um, to see if we've got any questions.
1: Thank you, Ali. That's a really interesting insight into the work that you're doing and the steps that a lot of employers are obviously already taking to manage mental health risks in the workplace. Uh, For all those on the webinar, if you have any questions for Dr Ali, please feel free to share those through the chat function and we'll get through as many of those as we can. Uh, In the meantime, we do already have some questions uh, which have been um, asked numerous times by various of our clients. Um, Ali, one thing that we're hearing from clients is that um, they have a very clear sense that they have a duty to take some action to manage mental health. You've explained your project and how that fits within that and it sounds like a very good idea having people at a, at a senior level within organisations understanding um, understanding mental health risks and having a better uh, literacy in mental health issues and an improved ability to manage those. What are you seeing, though, on the ground around that in terms of steps that employers are taking to manage mental health risks in their workplace more broadly? Mm. Yeah,
2: great question, Anna, and, th- and thank you for that. Um, look, we're, we're seeing three three key areas, okay? So when it comes to managing mental health risks in the workplace, um, there are three things that we're noticing here, um, certainly through the organisations that we have worked with. But number one is, is firstly um, organisations are doing very little, okay? Um, basically little and no action until they have an incident, okay? That's the first thing. Secondly, we then have organisations who are well-intentioned, however perhaps not so effective, and they have a more scattergun, ad hoc approach to wellbeing initiatives that aren't linked to targets or strategies, all right? So that's the second one. Thirdly, what we're seeing um, is that we have organisations who are building strategic plans for managing psychosocial risks at work, Um, and this is, for example, developing mentally healthy workplaces um, and, and really what we're doing here is integrating mental health within the bigger strategic plan. <clears throat> Pardon me. So as, as an example, Anna, um, there's an organisation that we are we are working with at the moment. And after going through and, and measuring mental health literacy across all of their mindsets, um, we are now helping them build their five-year strategic plan, which is uh, based on Demir's Code of Practice and WA Mental Health Commission uh, recommendations, but also is evidence-based. So we've gone back to um, our, our employees. We've understood what they know when it comes to mental health. And as a result, we're actually building strategi- a, a five-year strategic plan for this particular client that says we need to address this, this and this, okay? it's it's uh, It aligns uh, with code of practice, but also, too, it's not a plonk on the side. Um, and I think certainly when it comes to Demirs, there is a reluctance here to see mental health as being a plonk on the side it should be um, a strategy that is linked back into an overarching strategic plan that is built across the business Um, so then it is is something that is just as important as as environment or health and safety or compliance right so that's what we're seeing um, when it comes to managing mental health risks in the
1: workplace anna Thanks, Ali. That's very helpful. We um, another question that we've received over and over is um, it's clear that in relation to managing mental health risks, employers have a duty to consult on, men- on hazards, um, mental health hazards, the risks arising from those, and on controls. How are you seeing employers do that effectively, including through the work you're doing in your project or, or more broadly?
2: Yeah, so thanks thanks for that question, Anna. So really what we're seeing here, first things first, um, mental health literacy is a form of consultation, okay, because we're seeking feedback from our workforce um, and our program equips managers um, and supervisors to have these conversations, right? But more broadly, what we're seeing here is consultation can also be done um, through toolbox meetings, through pre-starts, um, through informal conversations, Um, seeking feedback uh, individually and from a cohort perspective, um, and also surveys um, and team meetings. Now, all of these um, opportunities for consultation also revert back to code of practice. Now, I think that's also um, a really really important component here that if many organisations are certainly trying to have these mental health conversations and the consultation process, in some organisations is quite thorough. I would suspect too, um, just as as a a port of call, that in those organisations where the consultation
1: is is,
2: uh, quite exhaustive and and working well, that we would have then um, really effective leadership and organisational culture. Any, I mean, look, as far as I'm concerned, as an org site, any policy, any system, any procedure that we want to be implementing into an organisation, whether it's health and safety, it's diversity and inclusion, it's whatever sort of uh, strategy we have needs to be um, supported by Exco and the senior leadership team, right? Because we know within human behaviour we have this this process called role modelling. So we have, okay, well, if if my boss um, is spending a bit of time on this and it seems important to him or her, then it's important to me. All right, and I need to work out how it's going to be important to me. So what we're seeing there is is through that consultation process, leaders really having to step up to, to their part to play um, in the mental health, um, in the mental health conversation. Um, and as I said, um, if, if there are organizations out there thinking about, you know, how how do they um, how do they implement, you know, or create a more mentally healthy culture. I think first things first, it starts with um, a risk assessment, a psychosocial risk assessment. Um, and also, uh, before I guess before you even get to that point, sorry, before that even part happens, um, it's really understanding how the leadership team are going to be um, supporting uh, mental health in the workplace. Because if it, if it is simply a tick and flick, right, you will, uh, you just simply won't see as, as good a results unless you have that leadership team really bought into the process. Um, And I think when you look at the code of practice, you'll see there that they focus quite heavily on leadership and organisational culture, which will enable those drivers, right, to move the dial on on mental health um, in the workplace. Um, does Does that answer your question there, Anna?
1: I think it does, Ali. I think that's um, that's a great help, and I think um, for a lot of employers, this has been one of the more difficult things. How do you consult on something which for employers um, is less straightforward than uh, practical physical safety risks and means of managing those? So that's very helpful to hear. Um, the final question that we've heard a lot is investigating mental reports of work-related mental health issues in the workplace. So. Again, I think a lot of our clients are quite um, accustomed to dealing with this, where there's a report of an incident or an injury, physical injury, They um, have quite established processes for doing an ICAM or escalating in some way some investigation of reports of um, work-related injuries, if they're of a certain level of seriousness. What are you seeing in the field in terms of employers investigating reports of mental health um, issues in the workplace? And is there an escalation point? Um, and surely it's not the case on every every time that someone reports work-related stress that's investigated. How are you actually seeing this managed practically?
2: Yeah, no, great question, Anna. Um, so really, what we what what we what we're seeing here is is the work health and safety legislation um doesn't differentiate that psychological and physical injuries and incidents should be investigated differently. Okay, and I guess in some ways. That's similar to the risk management approach. What we do for physical hazards should really be the same for psychological, and that's really how the Code of Practice has has reinforced that. Um, In fact, psychological injuries and incidents should be treated with the same regard as physical incidents and injuries. So the work health and safety legislation states that employee reports of hazards must be investigated. All right. So in this instance, if an employer receives a report, it must be investigated, right? The level of seriousness of that investigation, for example, informal to a formal investigation will depend on the nature and severity of that injury or that incident. All right. So for example, informal may be consultation with the worker on how to rectify the issue. Um, outcome is documented in the Occupational Health and Safety Management System um, to formal third-party investigations uh, into serious bullying allegations. So what we're doing here is we're saying it really is based on the severity um, of that psychosocial um, um, or psychological injury. Um, of course, there um, we have, you know, A huge component to that and a huge um, what if is when it comes to any suspected suicides or self injury, we need to report these directly to Daniers. Okay, so that that is not something that is a simple informal conversation, that needs to be reported directly. Um, We hope that employers uh, will have the systems that are flexible enough to accommodate uh, the unique context of each injury. Um, or incident, including uh, the seriousness and incorporate the underlying principles of an investigation. So what we mean by that is investigations should focus on identifying the sources of the risk um, and implementing controls using the hierarchy of control to reduce the risk of the incident or the injury occurring again in the future for any worker, right? So, um, again, you'll see there it is coming back to obviously in the initial question being, you know, what do we do with this, um, it, but it's, it's based on the severity. But then two, it's also based on that risk management approach that we take um, that that is, um, yeah, that that is that is unique for, for every psychosocial injury
1: um, or incident. Does that help with that one, Anna? It does, Ali. Thank you. I think that's clear. And um, we're getting a number of interesting questions through the from webinar participants, which I, I, I'm not sure we'll be able to get through anywhere near all of them. But one question which has come up, recently, which is um, an interesting one, you may or may not be able to answer, is what role, if any, does gender play in mental health issues and in their management? There's been um, the comment made that your research is focused on the mining and construction sectors. There's, there's been a comment that more um, male focused um is that correct and and is there any comment you can make on how gender impacts uh, mental health issues more broadly and their management in the workplace
2: Mm. yeah great question um thanks thanks uh, for that that question on, on the webinar look we don't we don't consider gender a difference at all here all right so i'm not going to create a workshop or create a coaching session whatever it is based on your gender okay we find that when it comes, as you've seen in my previous slides there, that when it comes to um, males and females understanding um, psychosocial hazard and risk, I think that they were, correct me if I'm wrong here, they were roughly about the same. So there is no bespoke approach that we would take based on gender, all right? So um, so I think certainly in any of the focus groups that we run, any of the workshops, um, gender wouldn't necessarily come into it Um I think certainly um, in, in those comments that people are making in the focus groups and the workshops, um, they come, they're come. a diverse range, all right? And, and certainly what we do is, is when we work with our project lead, when we're running Mental Health Literacy, we ask for a, for a good cohort. Um, I mean, obviously, mining and construction are male-dominated industries, absolutely, um, but what we try to do there is when we work with our project lead, we try to say, look, can we, can we try to get a, a good, perhaps a good mix? Um, and some good influences in there um, so we can talk to them about that but that's not always the case so um, and that's not always a, a a breaking point right it's not a be- all and end all so um, when it comes to gender we look at it equally um, um, and certainly do our best to um, to engage as as many women as we can in the project as men um, Does that help with that answer there Anna
1: it does. Thank you, Ali. And you've touched on, in answering that question, another another point which um, webinar participants have raised, which is how do you deal with um, a reluctance among people in mining or construction to be involved in dealing with mental health issues or to learn more about mental health issues? How do you make people more willing participants in this program?
2: Great question. I love that question. And that brings it, brings it back to organisational psychology. So we outline the value proposition. Okay, so when we go through and we encourage, we invite people to participate um, in this project or certainly, uh, I guess, really, if you're looking at more broadly any sort of mental health interventions, you must outline the value proposition. So that is fundamentally what's in it for me. All right. So and and the crux of it is what's in it for me, the fact that probably 50 percent of the Australian population will meet the criteria for a mental health illness in their lifetime right? So this is, when it comes to creating that value proposition, it's bringing it back to that value set of that individual, all right? Because what we have seen in our consultation process is that through our focus groups and workshops, many, many people either know someone or have experienced a mental health illness themselves. So this is really at the forefront. When we talk about mental health Um, and we talk about the interventions associated with mental health and also our knowledge and awareness and understanding of these key psychosocial terms it shouldn't just be related to workplace right what we see here is we see participants using this information that they have learned right to have better conversations with their i don't teenage boys right we had one the other week on site that said you know some of this um we we had a uh, i must share with you anna we had a um in the training and in, in the workshop that we do, we have a particular model that is one part of it. It's called the orbed model or the above the line, below the line. So that's obviously you know looking at ownership, accountability, and responsibility, and that's how we have conversations in the positive space because we get more productive conversations there versus um you know the blaming, the denial etc. That we don't see conversations moving as effectively as it could. So what we do there is, and in this particular example, we talked about this above the line, below the line uh, model and theory, and as a result, um, this particular superintendent um, you know, had, had a bit of a think about that and, and, and you know he did a bit of a role play on it with us. And he went to speak to his teenage son when he was um, back back on uh, back at home. Um, Off his swing, and he found that he, he, you know, by doing some of these different uh, practices and habits, that he could have a better conversation with his son. So, so I think that when it comes to really um, inviting people to have this mental health conversation and uh, ensure that mental health should be at the forefront, not just from a productivity performance perspective, but from a health perspective, right? I think we really need to ascertain the what's in it for me. What is the value proposition? What am I going to get out of participating in any sort of mental health initiative? Well, the fact the facts there speak for themselves. So once you can, as I said, ascertain that value piece, right, I think you'll have some better traction on the ground. Um, and that is is that mental health, this, this is not going anywhere, right? If anything, we are going to see a considerable increase in mental health illness over the next five to 10 years. Um, and I think that it's pretty safe to say that was even before COVID-19. Um, and, and also to the Productivity Commission report released by the federal government yesterday takes a very serious stand on how they need to be incorporating um, some new structures, uh, systems, and processes to support um, mental health in this country uh, because it's simply um, it's it going to be a significant concern that will impact workplaces Um, and individuals. Um, Does that help with that question there, Anna?
1: Yes, thank you, Ali. And um, some very sobering words to finish on there. I think, as you say, it it does seem um, the management of mental health issues will be a reality and a a very clear imperative for employers, um, obviously, into the future. So um, all of that has been fascinating. We have a number of questions which we haven't been able to get to our apologies for that a very big thank you to Ali for coming in and joining us today if you do have any further questions for her or you'd like to speak with her her details are obviously in the seminar slides all of those will be circulated or available um, after the seminar but thank you so much Ali for making time to speak to us about the work that you're doing it is fascinating as best we can ascertain it's pretty market leading we haven't been able to feel to identify many operators in this field so it's very interesting to get a sense of exactly what's happening out there and um, to all those who've joined thank you very much for joining us today this is the last of our safety leadership series for this year but we will be back next year of course with another program of sessions which we hope will be of interest to you and we'll keep you updated on what they are in due course so thank you Ali thank you attendees and all the best to all of you for the remainder of the year. Thank you, everyone. Bye.